0: This is Ashley Cafaso, and you're listening to Are You a Nurse, a podcast about women in healthcare by a woman in healthcare. This week, we are going to be diving into recruiting and what that entails for the healthcare industry and life sciences in general. Enjoy. So I have with me today, Michaela Siegel, who's also my roommate and also works as a life sciences recruiter. So Michaela, please feel free to introduce yourself.
1: Hi, everyone. So I have the pleasure of living with the lovely and soon to be famous Ashley Capasso. And as she mentioned, I am a recruiter uh, within the life sciences industry. I know that you hear the word recruiter and you probably think, you know, probably not in the best light. Uh, Always calling me, (laughs) emailing me at my desk. What are they bothering me about? Uh, Finding a new job. But, you know, I think. In today's setting, uh, if you have a recruiter reaching out to you, it's probably a blessing in disguise. I I think in a way we're lucky to be within the healthcare industry, which of course is much needed right now. Um, I actually focus specifically within biotech and pharma. So very fortunately, I will say that because of the involvement that the industry has in terms of supporting efforts in finding treatments for COVID and working on the vaccines, that that definitely provides a sense of calm, not to say calmness, that's the wrong word, because we're in a world of chaos right now. Yeah, I feel more like security. Yeah, stability is the right word there There that we're looking for.
0: So I think what would be helpful for other people to kind of see, I feel like your, like your sector of healthcare is very much like needed, but people don't realize that they need you until like the boat has already taken on water. So can you like walk us through, like, how did you even get into recruiting? Cause I feel like recruiting is one of those things that you fall into and then you fall out of. Right. So it's exactly. like, yeah. So like, how, how is your sector different from the rest of recruiting?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I you know, will say that I did not go to school to become a recruiter. I, I think that if you <laughs> probably ask most people in talent acquisition, that they would likely give you the same answer. I actually thought that I was going to go into law and become a lawyer. And really, what draws a parallel there is that I like helping people and I get to do yeah. that through recruitment. Um, so really, it did fall into my lap. I was in another sales job actually working for Macy's prior to going into recruitment Uh, and essentially I was selected by my prior firm to go into our team that does cover the life sciences Uh, Mm -hmm. so really had zero background didn't know a vaccine from a device that's probably an exaggeration but (laughs) uh, I started off working in biometrics uh, okay. which not that many people are probably aware of in terms of how crucial it is so essentially all of the people who are doing the clinical design uh, from like a statistic standpoint for mm-hmm. the clinical trials the programming so that those statistics can be ran the people who collect the actual data from the platforms uh, those mm-hmm. are all the people that I were recruiting for um, and say, essentially, sort of the man behind the mask there, uh, companies can't get these medicines or needed treatments or vaccines to the market, unless they have these people on board who are able to you know, show, okay, this is clinically effective, or no, this is having detrimental side effects on the, the people that are enrolled in the clinical trials. Got um, it. So that was how I came to the biotech and pharma industry. And Right now, I'm still recruiting in the same industries. However, I'm more on the executive search side of things, so recruiting for people who are in like C-suite operator capacities, board of directors. Which, for me, as someone who's earlier on in my career, been doing this for about three years now, it's been a really great opportunity to learn from people who have had like 20 plus year tenures. Uh, yeah, with major organizations and really wide variety of credentials so i think one of my follow-up points that
0: is that when you do these executive searches right because like granted this podcast is supposed to be about teaching people about different roles and like we'll go more into like what you look for in candidates which could be helpful for people listening but i i I'm just curious to see, like, what percent of women candidates do you see for these types of roles?
1: It's actually, Probably not many. It's or, interesting that you bring I it up. Because <laughs> my company is actually very involved uh, in terms of board diversification. Um, it's actually, I think, going to become more widespread, legally mandated for okay. public companies, at the very least, to have at least two female board members Uh, sitting on their board. I know in California, I think that's already come into play, but that's really a small piece of the puzzle. Uh, We're actually very involved with this organization called Women in Bio, and essentially their mission is to help keep women engaged at essentially all steps of their careers within the life sciences, making sure that they, for example, are doing their bachelor's in biology, for example, and then they go into no med school, or they go into a PhD program and that they're maintaining right. that retention there and can go and move into the industry and become leaders. Um, and they actually have a separate program in itself called uh, Boardroom Ready. And with that, it gives women in leadership capacities, a pretty like rigorous curriculum that uh, gives them mentorship and networking opportunities and training to prepare them to take on board seats. Oh, that's um, awesome. Yeah, and it's a really awesome organization. I I think what I've actually heard from a couple of the women in leadership that I've had a chance to speak to is, you know, why are we, for example, having to train women to sit on boards, but not necessarily training the men who sit on them already to be good board members? You you took the question
0: right out of my mouth.
1: Exactly. (laughs) So there's that sort of double Standard there in that sense. But I think, really, with a lot of the efforts that companies are putting forward in terms of DI, that the, the you know, stereotypical you know, board member male leadership is going to have to really wake up and smell the coffee because, at the end of the day, yeah. diversity, especially within leadership in the company, and not only promotes retention internally, but also when prospective talent is looking at a company. And deciding, okay, you know, it's really important for me that diversity and inclusion is something that is valued uh, by the organization, that this is a business that I want to join.
0: I I definitely agree. I think that sometimes when I look at healthcare in general, right, it's mostly one demographic of one gender and one specific, you know, um, type of person. I think, you know, that should be changing because the more diversity you have, the better you are able to solve problems, right? Like I feel like that's something that people are finally starting to get. Exactly. So I do have a couple questions that could be helpful for people who are interested in, you know, looking for new jobs or changing careers. So walk, walk me through like how do you find a candidate for a job and what should people be doing in order to be picked by a recruiter?
1: Sure. I think one of the biggest things and, I'd say probably a critique that I would give to people is when it comes to LinkedIn profiles, and that's really how I'm getting in touch with Mm -hmm. most individuals, unless it's coming through a referral. But really like the more information that I can get off of your profile, the more likely it is that I will know what opportunities to connect with you on. Um, of course it's the case that we will talk to, you know, people that have excellent uh, credentials, for example, but maybe we don't necessarily have a role for them right this second, but, um, we do network with them as well to have them in our pipeline. I think now the market is really starting to pick back up again and being detailed in that regard, you know, in terms of like having your skills up to date, you know, some of like the core functions that you've served in your past roles. I know that it seems a bit tedious to do that, but I think it definitely pays off since literally every recruiter I can guarantee is utilizing LinkedIn as probably their main method of sourcing. Right. Um, I think another thing too, is that going through a recruiter definitely makes a big difference um, in the case that you don't perhaps know one. I think another way that I would go about, you know, advising someone who perhaps is looking is really doing some research on your end, looking into companies um, or organizations that you feel like are in line with not only what you've worked on but also your own values um, and exploring the organization and on LinkedIn, it's pretty simple. You can you know, look to see who are um, any maybe like first or second connections that you have at the company, even like mm-hmm. look to see if there are any recruiters internally at the company that you can try to network with, you know, whether it's that they have roles open that are directly pertinent to your skill set, or even if they don't you No, know, it's never a bad thing to get your name out there. And it really shows that you're being proactive and not just, you no know, waiting for the market to bounce back to yeah. get a job. I, I definitely
0: feel like what I realize is that the only person who can manage your career is you. And I think people tend to forget that sometimes, um, especially nowadays, right? Where it's like, oh, I graduate from college. I do this. I do that. The next thing's coming. And it's kind of like once you start your career, you really have to build it yourself. Exactly. You know, like like people are going to pluck you out of the sky and just say, okay, now you're going to work for us. Um, so I was thinking – how important is education? Like, does it matter if you went to Johns Hopkins or if you went to like, you know, Cooney College? Like, how much does that play into executive searches and even, you know, recruiting in general?
1: You know what? It really depends on what you're recruiting for. You know, for example, if I'm recruiting for a chief medical officer role and the client tells me that they specifically want someone who did their MD in residency in the US, then no, we unfortunately, because that's, for example, a must have for them have to you know, rule out anyone who doesn't need yeah. that from an educational standpoint. I think it just like really depends on the sector that you're in. I know for a lot of the operational people that we deal with, like for example, on the business development and the marketing stand- um, side of the business, like that mm-hmm. is more so based off of, I'd say your actual like work experience that you've done versus some of these very scientific, Uh, roles that really rely heavily on pedigree or where that perhaps is maybe of more value. I I think in my prior role, which like wasn't on the executive search side, Mm -hmm. um, biostatisticians, for example, are even more highly regarded if they have a PhD in biostatistics or statistics or mathematics. So I think it just really depends on how technical the role is. Um, if it's one that is more, you know, grounded on skills that you've developed over mm-hmm. the years versus, like, how do I you know, design XYZ trial for uh, a clinical compounder? like, how do I do this from, like, a chemical perspective? Mm-hmm. Then I, I just think it really drastically changes the search, right? Yeah.
0: So... I think something else that would be important is let's, I know that a lot of people have been let go in hospitals right now and healthcare in general is one of those industries where we always kind of say like, okay, we're recession proof, but nothing is really guaranteed, right? Nothing is recession proof. So what would you say advice wise for someone who maybe let's say got furloughed or got let go? you know, is maybe on unemployment, like maybe they're collecting the extra 600 which is now an extra $200 and like looking for their next role. If they have the outlet to like go to virtual meetings online and try to meet new people, but what would you say is like the first and foremost stuff they should be doing just to, to get back out there?
1: That's a good question. I would say like first and foremost, not being afraid to ask for help. No, just seeing yeah. who you have in your own network. And, you know, just because that person doesn't know something off the top of their head doesn't mean that they won't be able to connect you to someone who does. I I think that we can be very prideful at times and not want to ask for help. And, you know, there's no shame, especially in a situation that, you know, the country is in right now and the world, for that matter, um, in terms of being out of a job, I don't think anyone expected for this to happen. But just, you know, seeing who can really vouch for you, you know, always mm-hmm. keeping that in mind. Um, I, you know, think back to applying for colleges and you know how college applications wanted you know references or right. you know, people for to give uh, recommendations, and I think that really goes twofold that way and Mm -hmm. just having people keep you in mind for the good work that you've done as well too. Hey, I think
0: that's important because the, like your resume is going to only say so much, right? But if someone's actually seen you and your work ethic and has done stuff with you, they can vouch for you. And that's better than any resume, um, at the end of the day. So I think something else that would be important that I definitely want to discuss with you cuz you do the executive searches like you work with the big wigs who are running these places what's like what are what are typical characteristics that you see in these people and what should women be trying to emulate in order to get to those roles
1: yeah i will say that and much to my surprise i was a little bit initially intimidated by the prospect of having the opportunity to speak with you know, some of these people that have built such you know, strong career trajectories for themselves in the industry. But at the end of the day, um, I go into every conversation just reminding myself that, you know, they're just people. Uh, right. At the end of the day, you're just having a conversation with another human being uh, the same way that you would talk to a friend. Granted, everyone has different personalities, but surprising these people have been, I say, very receptive uh, to talking to me. And, you know, at the end of the day. I'm 25, and the fact that they're taking you know, 30 minutes out of their day to connect with me is, uh, I'd say, valuable on on my end there. Uh, I will say... Because I think,
0: so, oh, I was going to say, like, I think with women, a lot of the times we're we're passive. Like, yeah. I I get afraid to say, like, oh, by the way, this is what I think sometimes. Even though I know my opinion isn't wrong, it's just... I just feel the cultural societal pressure to kind of keep my thoughts to myself, which.
1: Yeah. Where it's like, you know. don't say something in
0: fear of it being rejected. Yeah. I definitely. Yeah. That happens all the time and you have to keep fighting against that. But I guess more to the point of the question is like, what, what type of skills do you see these women having that you don't, you don't normally think of? Like I would think she has to be assertive, like not aggressive. Cause I think like there's, a couple different ways, like you don't want to be passive, you don't want to be aggressive, you just want to be assertive, you want to state your point, make it be, you know, susceptible to feedback. So I'm looking for more like characteristics like that.
1: Sure. Yeah. And I think that there's a lot of sort of question around that where, you know, women and men are put into these specific gender roles. And, you know, it, like you had mentioned, you don't want to be aggressive, uh, you want people to be assertive because at the you know end of the day unfortunately i think it can sometimes be the case where you know if a woman is coming off as aggressive then men will feel threatened by that um even if that's not the intention at all um mm-hmm. i think with a lot of the women that i speak to they're very straightforward and to the point but from an overall communication style i would say that you know they're almost very uh amiable. Um and really what I've heard from a lot of women in leadership is that, you know, they don't have a tough time getting along with a lot of people because at the end of the day I think like their value and skill set that they bring to the table in the scenarios that they're in at the very least is that their skill set overshadows you know, being a woman or, right, and another thing too is, you know, the fact that we are, you know, so involved in the the board diversification there, you know, it's great that these boards want to bring on women, but at the end of the day, you know, we should be really looking at a profile blindly and the skill set blindly and just hiring the person for what they've accomplished and like what they can potentially do for the business versus, you know, are they male, are they female, whatever they may identify as.
0: I definitely think that's something that moving forward, you know, I hope organizations are going to be thinking more about just who brings what to the table and removing kind of the the distinction of, oh, this is a female. Oh, this is a male applicant. Oh, we need to make sure that we have the right ratio of male to female. I think moving forward, that would be, you know, one of those Barbie Dream House things that happen. Um, but hopefully in the future.
1: Uh, yeah. We still so, certainly have a long way to go. And like a great example, I would say is the CEO of GSK. Her name is Emma Walmsley, and she actually I think joined them as CEO in 2017. That company is like over 100 years old, I think. Right. So if you think about how long it took them to actually get to that place as a major. No global organization that's a a big feat um and it's only one for that matter, so I think with these like larger powerful organizations as well too like setting an example on that side of the spectrum, I think that that can hopefully help to pave the way, but there definitely needs to be more of an open mindedness towards it, and I think more of a effort um, in companies' leaderships to really understand what D and I will do for you know, the company and helping the company to continue to be successful.
0: Thank you so much for listening to Are You a Nurse? A podcast about women in healthcare. I really appreciate Michaela coming on the show and giving us some insight. And next week, we're going to be exploring a different sector of healthcare with a different female leader. Stay tuned.